Welcome to another episode of the Religion Law Podcast, where you learn about religious freedom and other religion law-related topics through a short question-and-answer format. I'm your host, Michael Fielding. Let's see how you do on today's quiz. Welcome to Religion Law Quiz number 35, numero 35. All right, let's just dive straight into the question. The Respect for Marriage Act was enacted on December 13th, 2022. What amendments to the United States Code did the Respect for Marriage Act make and what protections for religious freedom were included in the Respect for Marriage Act? Mm, good question. It almost feels like uh, December 13th, 2022 is ancient history and uh, you know, that was less than two years ago, less than a year and a half ago. And uh, uh, it's it's amazing how quickly our, our memories fade. Well, uh, let me just tell you what the answers are here. And then we'll go in. I have kind of the practical application. How does this play out? And actually describing the answer and, and talking about the practical application are pretty much one and the same today. So the the. Uh, statutes that were enacted uh, was uh, 28 U.S.C. Section 1738C and uh, also uh, Title I, Section 7 of the United States Code as well. And now, if you recall, Congress had previously enacted the Defense of Marriage Act and the Respect for Marriage Act uh, really changed things from a federal level. And I'm going to just read to you uh, some quotes here from the statute. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to understand it, and I think it's good to understand what the state of the law is. I'll say this parenthetically as well, just before I read this, uh, just to kind of set the table here. When I was in law school uh, in my second year, I was taking constitutional law, and I had uh, my professor, Professor Wilkins, who I thought was a, a really good teacher, and as they do in law school, they almost always use the Socratic method where it's this idea that we're going to teach things by asking questions. But when the time came uh, in the course to talk about abortion, he did the class completely different. And he started off the class essentially saying, this is a, a very controversial topic. I know that there are very strong feelings on uh, all sides of this issue. And he said, so today, rather than engaging in the Socratic method, which would have invited a lot of animated uh, class discussion, he said, I'm just going to lecture and tell you what the state of the law is. And you may agree with it. You may disagree with it. But that's what I'm doing. And I, I will tell you that I really appreciated him doing that because obviously abortion is a very uh, emotional topic. It, it, it really gets deep, down deep with a lot of people. And it, it brings a lot of, of passion, a lot of emotion on both sides of, of the topic. Uh, and sometimes we need to, while recognizing that passion that people have on differing sides, sometimes we need to kind of just completely set that aside for a moment and just say, what is the current state of the law, whether you agree with it or disagree it, what is the current state of the law? And that's what we're doing here today. So uh, as I was indicating earlier, 
you have uh, 28 uh, USC section 1738C. Let me uh, read this paragraph from the section. It says, no person acting under color of state law may deny full faith and credit to any public act, record, or judicial proceeding of any other state pertaining to a marriage between two individuals on the basis of the sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin of those individuals, or two, a right or claim arising from such a marriage on the basis that such marriage would not be recognized under the law of that state on the basis of the sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin of those individuals, close quote. And then the statute goes on to create uh, or give the right to the attorney general to enforce the statute if there has been a violation, and it also creates a private right of action if a person believes that they have been harmed uh, by a violation of the statute. So what does this mean in practicality? What's happening here? Well, as you will recall, there uh, the Supreme Court in, uh, I'm embarrassed, I can't remember the year right now, but it was approximately 2015, the Supreme Court issued the Obergefell decision where the Supreme Court recognized uh, same-sex marriage uh, under the Constitution. And what that did, let me back up, leading up to that, there, there had been several states that had adopted statutes that had essentially said, uh, if a person, you know, that marriage is defined between a man and a woman, and if another state enacts a statute which allows marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman, uh, and if that couple then comes to our state, we won't recognize it. It was essentially the gist of what the statutes were. And what this Respect for Marriage Act did was essentially say, if there is a marriage between two individuals, then uh, there has to be full faith and credit given to it, um, to this marriage, uh, and they and the state could not deny the full faith and excuse me could not deny the full faith and credit on the basis of the sex, race, race, ethnicity, or national origin of those individuals. So that was one of the amendments that that the Respect for Marriage Act did. It also, the Respect for Marriage Act also set forth the definition of marriage under the United States Code, and this is at Title I, Section 7, and I'm going to read what the enacted statute is. Here, here's what it says, quote, for the purposes of any federal law or regulation, excuse me, let me back up, for the purposes of any federal law, rule, or regulation in which marital status is a factor, an individual shall be considered married if that individual's marriage is between two individuals and is valid in the state where the marriage was entered into or in the case of a marriage entered into outside of any state if the marriage is between two individuals and is valid in the place where entered into and the marriage could have been entered into in a state. And so you see from this definition that they are essentially defining marriage as really asking the question, could it be valid under state law? And obviously there are various states that uh, under their statutes allow uh, uh, a man and a man or a woman and a woman to be married to one another. 
and you see that the United States Code is adopting a marriage, a, de excuse me, a definition of marriage that accommodates that. Okay, so that's really the first part of our question, which was what portions of the United States Code were amended. The other question, though, or other portion of our quiz is what did the Respect for Marriage Act say or what protections did it provide for religious liberty and conscience? That's a good question. Now, here's what's really intriguing to me personally about this act. Uh, typically, when a uh, act of Congress is enacted, uh, you will have the United States Code and you'll have provisions either added to or deleted or modified. And under this particular act, uh, the bill had various sections and uh, uh, like Section 4 amended uh, Title 28 and then Section 5 amended uh, Title 1 on the definition of marriage. But Section 6, which is part of the bill, which is enacted, it actually didn't modify or amend any particular code. And. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've, I've been practicing as an attorney uh, since 2001. Now, I'll candidly admit I don't get super heavy into a lot of legislative history and looking at uh, congressional enactments in my particular line of work. But what really caught me about this particular statute is that this is an act of Congress. It's been adopted into law, and yet these protections for religious liberty are just a note. Literally, it says note to the bill, but it, it is an act of Congress. It has been adopted into law, which is really intriguing. Maybe it's happened in the past. I'll tell you, this is when I was looking at this, this is the first time that I had ever seen something like this. Now, uh, so let's talk about what those protections are for religious liberty. And there was a paragraph A and a paragraph B. So paragraph A said, Quote, nothing in this act or any amendment made by this act shall be construed to diminish or abrogate a religious liberty or conscience protection otherwise available to an individual or organization under the Constitution of the United States or federal law. Close quote. So you can see that uh, Congress in enacting this is essentially making this statement that this law is not intended to abrogate or diminish any existing rights of conscience or rights of religious freedom that may otherwise exist under the federal constitution or applicable federal law. Then there was a second paragraph as well, and I want to quote it here because it's important to hear it. It's uh, and this deals with goods or services, <clears throat> excuse me, and it says, quote, consistent with the First Amendment to the Constitution, Nonprofit religious organizations, including churches, mosques, synagogues, temples, non-denominational ministries, interdenominational and ecumenical organizations, mission organizations, faith-based social agencies, religious educational institutions, and nonprofit entities whose principal purpose is the study, practice, or advancement of religion, and any employee of such organization shall not be required to provide services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges for the solemnization or celebration of a marriage, 
any refusal under this subsection to provide such services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges shall not create any civil claim or cause of action, close quote. All right, so that, that was a long quote, and I, I hope I didn't lose you in the, the long definition. And so let's kind of restate that in practical layman's terms. What does that mean? Uh, what it's saying is it gives us big laundry list of churches, mosques, synagogues, etc., religious organizations that they, uh, under their religious tenets, their religious beliefs, may have an opposition to gay marriage. And what the statute is saying is that if you have a gay couple, for example, and they go to a particular church and they say, we want to be married in your church, and the church says, well, we respectfully decline your request because we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Uh, what the statute is saying is that where the, the church is protected from a civil action then being brought against them because the church had declined to perform the wedding for the gay couple. And you can see how this is really creating a balancing act here respecting the rights of both parties, because on the one hand, you would have a gay couple that desires to be married, and the law, under existing law, clearly allows that to happen. On the other hand, you have a religious institution that uh, that, that gay marriage would be against the, the teachings or the tenets of that faith, and there is the respect that uh, this church cannot be forced to perform this wedding for the same-sex couple. Now, that doesn't mean that the couple is denied the right to get married. Clearly, the couple can go somewhere else and uh, and be married lawfully under the law. But at the same time, you see the protections that are carved out for the protection of the church so that it can continue to practice its religion and, and teach what it does. So, uh, that does it for today's quiz. I realize this has been a, a pretty long one, much longer than what they typically are. But again, I think it's really helpful to just talk about what the current state of the law is. You may agree with it. You may disagree with it. Uh, and we're not here to, to resolve that. We're just here to talk about what the current state of the law is so that you understand it better. All right. Well, that does it for today's quiz. I hope you can make it uh, to the next one. Uh, it's it's going to be something different than what we've talked about previously. Hope, hope you can listen to it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember, religion law quizzes are for educational purposes only and are not intended to be relied upon as legal advice. If you have found this episode to be helpful, please share it and leave a review. Until we meet again, keep being an influence for good.